to everyone. It's hard to do a children's sermon when you don't have children. So, we'll just move on. There was a husband who was dying to prove to his wife that women talk more than men. So he showed her a study which indicated that men use about 10,000 words per day while women use about 20,000 words per day. And his wife thought about this for a while. Then she told her husband that women use twice as many words as men because they have to repeat everything they say. And her husband looked stunned and said, what? And then there's the one about several men who were in a locker room of the gym. A cell phone rings sitting on a bench there and a man picks up the phone, puts it on speaker, begins to talk. Everyone in the room stops to listen. Man says, hello. Woman says, hi honey, it's me. Are you at the club? Man says, yes. Woman says, well, I'm at the shops now and I found this beautiful leather coat. It's, it's only $2,000. Is it okay if I buy it? And man says, sure, go ahead if you like it that much. Woman says, I also stopped by the Lexus dealership and saw these new models and I saw the one I really liked. The man said, how much? Woman said, $90,000. Man says, okay, but for that price, I want it with all the options. Woman says, great. Oh, and by the way, honey, I was just talking to Jane and found that that house I liked last year back on the market. They are asking $980,000 for it. And the man says, well, go ahead and offer $900,000. They'll probably take it. If not, we can go to the extra $80,000 if that's what you really want. And the woman said, okay, see you later. I love you too much. And the man says, bye, I love you too. The man hangs up the phone. The other men in the locker room, they're just staring at him in astonishment, mouths just wide open. And the man turns and asks, anybody know whose phone this is? <laughs> Our gospel reading this morning tells us that Jesus was down by the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech and they begged him to lay his hands on them, on this man. And he took him aside in private away from the crowd and he put his fingers into his eyes and he spat and touched his tongue. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said to him, Ephatha, be open. And immediately his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. As I was thinking about this reading, I began to wonder what it must be like to be that man who needed help that day, to be the man who could not hear or barely speak, to be the man to whom Jesus said, Ephatha, be open. And I tried to imagine what it must be like to be deaf, not to be able to hear any sound whatsoever, sound that we take for granted. And I'm finding that out the older I get. We're told that this man also had some sort of 
speech impediments, and that's certainly understandable. If you can't hear, it seems to follow that you will also not be able to speak clearly, especially back in the day when they had hardly any medical technology. This man in the gospel could neither hear nor speak. You ever thought what it might be like to be imprisoned like that man and like so many other people today? How do people with these kinds of challenges survive? How do they ever get free? In my thinking about these things, I was led to consider three different people to see how through these three people, God has touched so many other people's lives and freed them. And I was able to see through them how God frees us. So the first person takes us back to June 27, 1880 in Tuscumbia, Alabama. It was there that a delightful, sweet little girl was born healthy, well, And after a year and a half of normal living, this little girl picked up a fever from some strange disease and it made her very sick. And because of her illness, she became both deaf and blind. This little girl, of course, was Helen Keller. Her family, as you know, if you have read her story or seen the movie, The Miracle Worker, Her family overcompensated for her handicap by spoiling her so rotten that she became an uncontrollable hellion of a child. Later on, she tried to describe this period of her life, what it was like to be imprisoned in her body, not being able to hear or to see. And at one point, she likened her condition to a ship that was caught in a dense fog with no compass, no plumb line, no nothing. And she waited like that ship in the fog, she said, fighting back anger and rage, being overcome by the enormity of the obstacles that she knew she faced. She waited and she waited until March 3rd, 1887, the day when the fog finally began to lift. I went back to her autobiography and I fished out one or two paragraphs that described her period of waiting. This is what she wrote. The most important day I remember in all my life is the one in which my teacher, Annie Mansfield Sullivan, came to me. I am filled with wonder when I consider the immeasurable contrast between the two lives which it connects. On the afternoon of that eventful day, I stood on the porch, dumb and expectant. I guessed vaguely from my mother's signs and from the hurrying to and fro that something unusual was about to happen. And so I went to the door and I waited on the steps. The afternoon sun penetrated the massive honeysuckle that covered the porch and fell on my upturned face. My fingers lingered almost unconsciously on the familiar leaves and blossoms which had just come forth. I did not know what the future held of marvel or or surprise for me. Anger and bitterness had preyed upon me continually and left me with a great struggle. 
I felt approaching footsteps. I stretched out my hand as I supposed it to be my mother, but someone took it and I was caught up and held close in the arms of someone who had come to reveal all things to me and more than all else, to love me. Now, if you remember the movie, Annie Sullivan did give the child enormous love, but she also gave her firm and at times violent discipline. This little girl was like a wild animal and Annie's combination of a very tender and warm love along with a very stern and uncompromising discipline, her demand for obedience touched this little girl deeply and made her into a great human being. Even such at times a bitter and cynical soul such as Mark Twain who came to know Helen Keller very well reckoned her and Napoleon as the two most interesting figures in the 19th century. Napoleon because he had conquered the world in his quest for power and Helen Keller because she had conquered her own physical limitations to become a beautiful and noble lady. The second name you may not know as well, another era knew Mrs. Kendall as a famous, famous British actress. And you might know her because she was portrayed in the movie and in the play, The Elephant Man, the story of a man so called because of his excruciatingly horrible deformity. There is in the movie a particular incident that you might recall. When the actress, Mrs. Kendall, went to see the elephant man, as she held out her hand to shake his, he brought forth the less deformed of his two hands. And Mrs. Kendall, she just stood there, looked him in the eye, and shook her head, indicating that that was not sufficient. The elephant man, he hesitated for a long time. And finally, after a very lengthy pause out from under his coat, he brought forth his other hand, more horribly disfigured than the other. And Mrs. Kendall, she took that hand into hers and smiled. And the elephant man looked into her eyes and he said, this is the first time I've ever held a woman's Hand. And much of the spiritual healing that occurred in his life came from that touch. The third and final figure is anonymous simply because I don't know who he was. This person is a man whose simple action is repeated day after day by many people, but I witnessed it one Friday many years ago in the tunnel system under Neath the streets of downtown Houston, we would go down there and do a Bible study around the lunch cafe areas. Paul remembers that maybe. Um, he worked down there. This man, just like a few hundred other or thousands of other men and women, happened to be there in the tunnel with their stereotypical briefcases. And this man was walking quite rapidly, I assume, so as to get to wherever he was going to his office. But as he was Going by, there was a woman and a little boy 
standing there, and as he passed, I noticed that he skirted around them, but paused just long enough to lay his hand quite lovingly on the child's head and then tasseled with the child's hair, and then he went on. Later, after that Houston Bible study, I thought about what I had witnessed and and my thoughts allowed me to see that no matter what kind of structures we put up, no matter how artificial our lives become, even in the concrete jungle, there is something about a child that resonates within all of us. And in the hustle and bustle of it all, this man took time to touch this child on the head. And maybe it was the only human touch of his day before he sat down before his computers and machines. And then looking at it from the child's point of view, I I wondered what he thought about it, if anything. The child just saw the back of the man leaving, but someone had touched him with obvious care and obvious love, and it was a reaffirming kind of touch. In an often mad world that catalogs nightly the number of accidents and murders and rapes and hurts, it was a touch that seemed to say, I love you and I am concerned about you. Now when I think about these three people in relationship with the gospel reading today, trying to relate to the man who could neither talk nor hear, I think to myself, but isn't that the way that God touches us when we are blind, when we are deaf, when we are dumb in a numbing world? God touches us in the same three ways. At times, God touches us as Annie Sullivan touched Helen Keller forcefully and with demands. These might be the people who have had some kind of violence in their lives, an accident, a a death, a sudden trauma that just tore their lives apart, perhaps. And yet they have the opportunity to grow and to become better for it all, perhaps to answer a new and different call in their lives. I think of St. Paul literally being struck off his horse and and made blind before his conversion. I think of St. Augustine's depression and his anguish before his conversion, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I think of the young widow, Elizabeth Ann Seton, alone in New York with relatives who didn't like her, bereaved and with a a flock of kids crying on the streets all around her, saying to herself, what am I going to do with my life? God comes to us like Annie Sullivan, comes with demands, comes asking obedience to his rules, obedience to his fierce love. God comes to us like Mrs. Kendall. God looks at our deformities. We hide them from each other. We hide them even from ourselves. Underneath our cloaks, we have our sins and things that we would not like for anyone else to know about us. Habits, addictions, maybe things in our past that are very, very heavy. But God comes to us like Mrs. Kendall And of course, we treat him like we treat others. We offer God our least horrible side. We try to fool even God. 
And God stands there like Mrs. Kendall and waits. God will not have our public sanitized side. What he asks for is our most unseemly side. He asks for our most shameful sin. He asks for our deepest weakness. And he will not be content until out of the darkness we present these to him. And with kindness and loving care, God grasps our sin and our weakness in his hand and the healing begins. God comes to us this way if we allow it. And finally, I suggest to you that God comes to us gently and with affection. That in the hustle and bustle of life as we're moving down the fast lane, as we wonder where the days go, what's happening in our lives, we're running for the car, the bus, the train, the plane, running kids here and there and everywhere, we realize that somewhere there was a gentle touch that day. And the touch was God's. So the gospel speaks to us in our imprisonment, speaks to us in our own deafness, our inability to speak or to see. And the gospel message says, if we would but be attuned in prayer and scripture and sacrament, we would recognize that God does in fact enter our lives. If we would just be still, we would feel the hand of the Lord sometimes demanding, sometimes healing, and sometimes reaffirming. Jesus says to us, Ephatha, be opened. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.